0: The English test summer has come to a bit of an abrupt end, so probably a good time to sit down, calm down, and reflect, and I can't think of a calmer, more reflective friend of mine than Mr Daniel Norcross. Dan, how are you? <laughs>
1: oh, I'm feeling very calm and reflective today, actually, as it goes. You've caught me a normally calm and reflective man, and he's most calm and indeed reflective.
0: Comfortably numb or is that is
1: that for later? Uh, well, I, know I am actually quite comfortably numb um, <laughs> for, for reasons of excess brought on by, as you say, the abrupt end to the test series, which meant I had five days free out of nowhere, which meant that um, the house guests that I thought I wasn't going to see anything of, I have seen plenty of and i uh, seen plenty of them well into the night. And, <laughs> so I think it's probably helping my, my reflective mood so let's reflect Um, and
0: the test year and I'm not going to go into detail but it is it has been the transition out of COVID we started the year with uh, overseas tests behind closed doors and um, stop start with COVID and the rest of it and then we came to these shores and gradually we saw um, crowds getting bigger and bigger until we were up at Headingley and indeed the Oval for incredible scenes. And um, your dulcet tones were there all the way.
1: Yes, I was quite fortunate this year. I've I've done every test match in some capacity or another, apart from the Lord's test. Although I did do a bit of that for for SEN as well. So yes, I've I've witnessed all of it. And I don't really feel that I know anything more at the beginning of the year than I did at the end. With two exceptions... Um, I do know that Joe Root is approximately two and a half times more productive than the next nearest England batter in the entire team and squad and country generally. And uh, that Ollie Robinson is very good at at test cricket, which I didn't know at the start of the summer. So I've got those takeaways. I've got various other ones, I suppose, have been, um, you know, at the beginning of the season, you receive the fixtures and, I don't know how you go about it, Moots, but I first looked for all the test matches, all the women's internationals, um, the county championship fixtures to see if there are any where it's going to be warm or if I'm just going to be wrapped up in a tartan rug with a the hot thermos bath. Um, T 20 finals day. And then there was the addition of the 100. I thought, well, where's that going to go? How's it going to fit in? And so uh, I guess what I saw was that there was this massive, formless, blobby mess that I couldn't keep in my head. And that's kind of, to me, how the summer's played out. It, it's been a formless, massive, blobby mess, and I haven't been able to really keep... Even though I've been there for lots of it, I've not really been able to keep track of it. I mean, the county championship, you and I are both huge fans of the county championship, but um, your side is basically dead and buried if they play out a couple of draws and lose one early on. And so that sort of like takes that away from it. But then I can't be quite sure who's actually doing well. Um, the T20 happened in a sort of blur, didn't it? And then it stopped. And then it started all over again. It was really exciting. But then it has to stop again yeah. till while we wait for finals day. And, and in between times, I was going to watch test matches. So I, I found it a dissatisfying summer, but a very oddly quick one because I was always having to concentrate on something new. And before I knew it, I looked up and it was bloody September. And as I say, almost none the wiser for it. I
0: suppose that's the one thing um, about the 100, forget everything else, but the one good thing that I thought about it was, it was fast paced, it was all in one go and um, you could follow it and it was all concluded in a block and that was
1: that. yeah, that, I mean, I agree with you. I think that was the one bit of the summer that was most made made sense in a way, really. Um, because for all, for all the reasons you said, the other part of it was that I really enjoyed the women's team aspect of it. So that kept me going because I thought the, the men's tournament was slightly overhyped. I didn't think the quality was particularly high and there were very good reasons for that. You know, a lot of Australian players missing, no West Indian players to speak of, really, apart from Carlos Brathwaite. Um, and because of covid there just weren't enough, I guess, overseas stars. So wh- while were very, there, there were some very exciting games in the men's 100, it, it was, in terms of quality, quite low. But the women's tournament and my team was the Oval Invincibles and I found myself rooting for them. I couldn't believe that I would start the season. I thought, well, they're not called Surrey. But sure okay. enough, on the very first day, Maddie Villiers hit that six to, to basically win the game pretty much. And I suddenly realised that I was an Oval Invincible super fan. And and overnight, (laughs) which shows the fickle nature of sporting loyalty, doesn't it? But um, uh, yeah, I kind of, I I got into it. I did get into it. And I actually, I think one of the reasons I got into it was that the things that I thought would fail were the things that succeeded. And the things I thought would be interesting didn't really come to pass. So I was quite kind of fascinated by it. Um, But what it did do was because of it being played in this block, it meant that England arrived at the right selection for their test team by accident, really, because there were no counter-championship games near it, anywhere near it, for them to be able to bring in players when other players had losses of form. And let's face it, every every country's teams have losses of form. Ajinkia Rahane had a terrible loss of form this summer for India. Mm-hmm. It happens to every country, and the advantage of being at home is that you're able to pick a player because you haven't taken a squad. You you can pick a player from the entire domestic uh, setup. And because England's sectors had nothing to go on, they basically picked batters eventually who were the right age, a bit older. So at the start of the summer, they began with the youngest batting lineup, I think in their history, I think I'm right in saying. Um, And then, of course, by the last test match, or the penultimate last test match that was played, they had a really balanced-looking age group, actually, with Hasiba Mead and Burns in there, but Milan coming in and Bear Snow being in there, Root and Pope. So they actually got there, but more by accident than design. And I, and I guess what I'm scratching my head over is what on earth made them think that they got the right format of, of, of team selection back in June. When again, they were sort of forced into difficult decisions because they decided that if you'd been at the IPL, then you couldn't get selected which made for some weird anomalies like Chris Wokes not getting selected earlier on, you know, in June when he was fit, because um, he'd notionally been at the IPL. They'd only been at the IPL for three or four weeks. Then they'd had four weeks off. I mean, it didn't sort of make any great sense to me at all. They weren't in these controlled bubbles that were really problematic. So they'd sort of made these decisions in advance, much like they had actually in January and February and, a, a, and March, where England's selection was dictated more by the laudable desire to keep their players fresh from the awfulness of these bubbles um, more than it was by selecting the right players. But it meant you have got weird anomalies, like Moeen Ali coming in, playing one game, looking a lot more effective on those pitches than Don Bess, and then flying home. Um, Johnny Fairstow just finding some form, and then the moment he, at the board coming off his bat nicely, oh no, off you go. So the the disruption to England's team was continuous, really, from the beginning of the calendar year, virtually through to the end. And it was only when they were sort of forced into making pragmatic selections that I think they actually got the right side. But by that stage, you know, if, if the fifth Test match had been played, would Jimmy Anderson and Ollie Robinson have played? Because they'd bowled over 160 overs each in those four games. And those games were played back-to-back. So, you know, we were asking an enormous amount of our cricketers. And I think that's what I mean, really, that the schedule has... If it, if it doesn't change, then what you'll see is every time England take to the field, they'll not have their best team out because they won't have the luxury of picking their best players.
0: Well, you mentioned about Jimmy Anderson, and I've just read... um this morning that he's not part of the Lancashire team for next week's final uh, county championship game because he's basically exhausted after um, the test summer. Um, a as, of a, as they
1: said as a Monty Python sketch goes, he's tired and shagged out after a long squawk. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's just, it's basically, what happened
1: to poor old Jimmy? Yeah, it's well, I hope mercifully not. I think that, on that bombshell, <laughs> yeah. but. The, the argument has always
0: been, oh, we need to play more county, oh, these guys need to play more county cricket, they need to. Um, but if they've been forced to play so much international cricket, you can't do both, you know, you really can't.
1: So. Um, well, no, but that, that's a function, though, isn't it, Moods, of, of playing five test matches in six weeks. And this was, again, I mean, quite baffling to me because India were in the country from June yeah. to play the World Test Championship final. And once we knew that that was happening, You'd have thought, and I know it's a bit more difficult in England because um, the clubs sell their tickets much earlier. So Old Trafford had already sold, you know, its tickets. And so you've got a bit of a logistics nightmare. But just looking at that schedule, the Test Series should have started earlier, frankly. There was a white ball blob in the middle that Sri Lanka and Pakistan, that didn't really make a lot of sense, were quite a long way away from a, a men's World Cup. If the India series had been able to start two or three weeks earlier, you'd have had test matches in July. But part of the reason they didn't want to do that was because they wanted to keep marquee players to play at the beginning of the 100, which was a very wrong headed way of thinking about it. Because, I mean, nobody's going to fall in love with the Northern Superchargers because Ben Stokes plays two games and then disappears for the rest mm. of the tournament, because that was the imagining that it was going to be at the start of the year. So, I think that you know the, these problems are solvable, but, but you've got to get, when when a side comes over like India, and they were in England, as I say, from the beginning of June until the middle of September, how we couldn't have found a way to play five test matches, but with adequate gaps between them. So that, you know, in the, in the old days when we used to watch, yeah. like being very old and miserable here, but there was always a week and a half between a test, except when it was two and a half weeks because of the open golf. So... <laughs> <laughs> there was always there, there were always gaps in the schedule that allowed sides fast bowlers to to recover and and five day test match cricket with no rest days with three days off in between and one of those days is spent travelling is gruelling.
2: But to your point, Dan, about um, jumping between formats, that's a problem that's not solvable at the moment, is it? You've got test match, you've got. County Championship, you've got one day, you've got Vitality Blast, you've got um, the hundred. There's no way you can have those blocked like the hundred was and satisfy
1: everything. I agree. I don't think you can. Um, uh, there are various ideas people have had. The Royal London One Day Cup coming earlier, much earlier, like April, much, much as the old oh. Benson Hedges Cup used to do. I know freezing cold, but you know some matches have got to be played in April it's because we <laughs> live stupid. We've been We've been sent so far away from the equator by the fact that every other country our ancestors lived in kicked us out, and sent us further and further into cold climates that we can't complain <laughs> It's the sins of our ancestors for this mo nice nicest We are where we, we are where we are, but I mean, there, look there are sort of little tweaks you can do if the counties insist on having a T20 competition as well as there being a hundred then you've got to sort of abandon the notion that you can have an overseas pro come and stay with you and do the whole competition, really. You've got to play county championship and T20 and do that sort of on a rolling weekly basis. That's one way, I think, of, of helping solve that, that crisis. Um, another one is to reduce the amount of four-day cricket. Do we really want to do that? Other countries don't play anything like as much as we do. Um, you look at Australia. They have 10 first-class matches, don't they, before a final? Uh, It seems to work perfectly well for them. So that might be a possible tweak. But the real issue is that we've got two pool, we've got two short-form tournaments. We've got the 100 and we've got the T20. So until that's resolved and we reduce, maybe you can do it by reducing the number of T20-class games, but the counties feel that they need that to generate their own money. And yet, at the same time, the 100 has been promising them money It's being generated elsewhere. So we've got this kind of horrible, as I keep saying, formless blob that can only be resolved by reducing the amount of cricket that's played. And it's not in anyone's interest to do that. It's not in broadcasters' interest. It's not in the county's interest. But it is in the players' interest.
0: You got any thoughts for the upcoming will-they-won't-they ashes?
1: I do. um, And my thoughts are... They're partly driven by what George de Bell has written. He's got his ear very close to the ground. Um, I know he has very good contacts, you know, within the England setup. And the, the current feeling is that they, a lot of them just do not fa- want to face what is four months in bubbles, and a lot of that, most of that really, away from their families. The problem is the hard quarantine in Australia. That's really the issue, because if they could get the families out there, much as the, you know, the Indians had their families out here, in relatively low restrictions, actually, you know, people were asked to sort of live carefully, but didn't stop them going out about and eating outdoors. Um, I think if you if you take into account a World T Twenty running straight into an Ashes, and then the families having to do two weeks of hard quarantine, that's tough, especially when they've got small children. So you have got quite understandably, you know, wives railing against the prospect of having to have like a a four-year-old and a two-year-old in a hotel room for two weeks, not being able to go anywhere, you know, while her husband's playing cricket on the telly in the first test or something. Uh, and then after that, there's even more cricket because they go go through um, uh, into the West Indies and beyond. So my strong sense is that as long as Australia maintains a the hard quarantine and b the threat of lockdowns, which may dissipate slightly with their vaccination programme picking up uh, we're going to see an England side go out there but it will not be anything like the best England side and given how tough it was going to be for the best England side to be competitive uh, in Australia I think it could be a pretty one-sided series
0: Does that mean that um, second string commentary teams will be sent out
1: there? <laughs> no my, my ex. well I would love to, I'd love that to be the case obviously because it, it would uh, give me a chance wouldn't it But um, um, we don't know. I mean, we we, the the uncertainty is obviously gripping the world, isn't it? But it's especially acute around Australia and New Zealand because they've maintained uh, an approach of trying to get to zero COVID, and to do that, it's worked in some uh, cases for them. New Zealand has had it's been very positive for them. Their economy has been able to keep going. They've kept COVID away from their shores, but because that's their mindset. we don't know, the BBC doesn't know, uh, Sky won't know or, or or whoever does cover the Ashes whether or not they've got to pay for eight people to be in quarantine for two weeks where they're effectively useless and so suddenly the costs ratchet up Yeah. and when you're dealing with licence fee payers money and stuff like that, that's not a good place to be in. So um, look, I'm, I can't tell you any more than I know which is that we genuinely don't know and we're just watching the space really acutely. The, the last Ashes I found out I was going, I think, in early July. So where are we now? We're in mid to late September. And um, I wouldn't expect us to have a clearer picture for probably another six weeks yet.
0: Yes, it's all very uh, distressing um, and worrying. Um, Did I see you pull on your whites this summer for the taverners?
1: Yeah, what I did is I've (laughs) actually put them on twice this summer. uh, Three times, three times. uh, I was given out, yes, uh, two LBWs for single figure scores, but a a dashing 35 off about 28 balls uh, in President's Day at my club, uh, which was very gratifying, actually, because the ball only, well, let me think, out of those 35 runs, I think only 31 of them came off the outside edge. So, there was quite a nicely struck boundary off a full toss down the leg side it's something that resembled the middle of the bat but um, I am president of my club so I think I was probably being fed joke bowling to make me feel better I felt terrible the next day though crikey Moses yeah I could barely walk all it is is standing there and occasionally wafting about isn't it but my shoulders were buggered it's, oh yeah. I'm, I'm out of I'm out of shape <laughs> Now, um, Zero Ducks given,
0: which is um, only the only UK cricket podcast that's better than Nine Out, according to the voting public.
1: <laughs> I remember <don't, laughs> there was don't not much you... in it. <laughs> well, it's be- better. It's a very hard one to quantify. It, it we appeal to people who enjoy chaos and mayhem, so. Um, Essentially, Toby Tarrant, Stephen Finn, myself, and occasionally a guest, we've had uh, we had Bumble and we had um, uh, Graham Fowler in the last couple of weeks. So we're mostly limited to left-handed Lancastrians who've gone <laughs> double hundreds against India. Does does make our gene pool rather small. Um, <laughs> we, we gather and I try to wind up Finney. Uh, my favourite wind-up of him was when we got Bumble on. I'd, I'd been saying to Finney, you know, bowlers, they get away with murder. They bowl all this filth down the leg side. It goes for four leg buys. It should go, on the, uh, should go on the bowler's analysis. He was furious. <laughs> so I, I primed David Lloyd about this. And David, was, he was just brilliant. Bumble, he just goes, uh, oh, yeah, I've heard uh, from Les Buttersby. Les Buttersby the ICC. He says they're seriously thinking about it. And, <laughs> and Finney had a huge drop while we were recording. If that happens, I'm going to retire. And there was effing and jeffing and everyone knows what else. So, uh, yeah, really, it's just an opportunity for me and Toby to wind up uh, a current player. Um, And it can get a bit loose because we record it in the evening when we're slightly more refreshed. And it seems that the the episodes that make the least sense are the ones that the listeners like most. So I think think it could just be that our listenership is uh, sort of, chaotic, drunken mass <laughs> and they, they like to see their views reflected.
0: <laughs> yeah, That's a very good Bumble impression by the way.
1: It really was. Thank, ooh, thank you. Thank you. We're working on it. <laughs> <laughs> with some
2: nice knitwear to match as well. Yeah. He had a
0: lovely Feral Isle um, tank top when he came on with us. <laughs> oh yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, So. Exactly. He likes his Um, I'm thinking, have you ever noticed, though, with, with Bumble? Uh, I've noticed this. I was chatting to Graham Fowler and his wife about this. That he's, He loves a good list, does Bumble. So if you get him on commentary, you will say, oh, look at them there, like they're at the beach. All <laughs> sorts of things he can do at the beach, and not there? There's paddling. There's making a sandcastle. There's sunbathing. There's sunbathing on a towel. Sunbathing not on a towel. A, you could play cricket. You could play with a frisbee. And on and on it goes, and he segues from that into another list straight after. He says, "Oh, and there's uh, there, there's a nice lad there wearing a wig. There's all sorts of things you can put in your hair these days. <laughs> You've got two pairs. You got uh, your fully grown wig. You get you get a bald wig if you want. I mean, if that's really a wig, <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm considering doing a half hour set of Bumble, of imagined Bumble." just never reaching the end of his point because he's just listing things. <laughs> I was going to get a new car the other day. I thought I could get a Saab or a VW or maybe a Ford or a camper van. Could have got a campervan or a Winnebago. <laughs> and on it goes.
0: You listen out ca- next time. I'll have to come on appearing as Don Topley.
1: Ah, <laughs> oh, well, we should send our best wishes to Don, shouldn't we? Because yeah. um, he's, he's tweeted out that I think he's got the dreaded he is. COVID, but I think he's in the spare room. He's he's, he's he's in, he's in good spirits. So though. he's in your spare room is he? <laughs>
0: <laughs> now you're taking zero um zero ducks given on the road. You're 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 making a live interactive experience of it, yeah?
1: We are. We are. Uh only in Leicester Square. Yes. There's a few it's a bit of a vogue for um for podcasts. You should get into it, especially with Ooh. your hair. Uh, I say your hair, your is a pretty contrasting of uh, Moots. But, um, <laughs> Moots for those those who can't see. Mo- Moots has actually lost twenty years by growing a kind of grey mop top, <laughs> which is which is genuine. I'm I'm, I'm basically hugely jealous of it, I think, the fact that I'm more like Paul and tonsorially challenged in the head. We are.
2: Darren and I are yeah.
1: before and after the clipper accident. but yeah so there's this organization that puts together sort of theater nights for podcasts and um, we've got to work out what the hell we do because i mean it's as i say most of our listeners just expect chaos and mayhem so (laughs) i i I don't know it's it's going to be recorded at five o'clock so presumably you have to get on the source a little earlier than normal in order to provide that that flavor of incoherent rambling (laughs) nonsense uh, but we will be announcing a guest at some point to the wider public, and that's on the 13th of November. I better get my dates right. <laughs> Tickets are available from somewhere, a link. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the worst salesman in the world. That's why I left the job in the city, because I was rubbish at it. Um, <laughs> basically, look at follow Zero Ducks Pod on twitter and all the details are in there how you can come and uh, and watch me and toby tarrant and Stephen finn and an as yet unnamed guest who will be stellar um talking for about an hour oh you moot yeah (laughs) i think you should just be the sport you should just come on first you know a bit like how uh girls school used to come on before motorhead yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I chose that analogy, genuinely. I think it might be the hair. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sort of a, a pound shop lemmy, is that what you say? <laughs>
2: <laughs> Something like that, yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, dear. Uh, which reminds me, uh, I must invite you next season up to Billericay Cricket Club because we are naming a scorebox, the scorebox, the Dan Norcross scorebox, after your spectacular <laughs> appearance at Ravi Bapara's... Benefit game where the Tabners played
1: the Essex eleven. Um. Oh, now the honour for the, the honour there is absolutely enormous, and I tell you, it, it, I'm now hard pressed to decide whether I'm more honoured by that or the the promise I got from the departing chief executive officer at the Oval, Richard Gould, who promised me that I would get an ashtray with my name on it <laughs> placed placed next to a no smoking sign at the Oval. <laughs> <laughs> So, an unusable ashtray. What well, do I want? An unusable <laughs> ashtray at the Oval or a very usable score box at Billericke. I think that Billericke might have tipped the, tipped the scales, actually.
0: <laughs> well, it was a spectacular performance winging it with yours truly when the rain was bucketing down and trying to get people oh. not to leave the ground. But uh,
1: we got there in Yes, I remember. What a filthy day that was, wasn't it? And then, it, and then the sun burst out as Ravi came and knocked 50 off 12 balls, wasn't it? Something yeah. absolutely insane.
0: That's right and and, and reese topley getting runs as well that day um
1: yes yeah. that that is a red letter day isn't it
0: yeah now um keen followers of daniel norcross on twitter will know that away from cricket podcasting and uh, professional antics in the bar uh, will know that he's a massive fan and follower of strictly come dancing so with absolutely perfect timing, with Strictly about oh. to start again, I thought we better. Sh- we should really ask what your thoughts. So I've got the lineup here, so um, yeah. the criticism so far has been who? Uh, so yeah. let me just run the names past and let me let me get your kind of views on how far they'll go, or even if you'd heard of them. Um, yeah. I'll start with Tom Fletcher. Who?
1: He, was,
0: he was in. Um, uh, now, Webby's into boy bands. Uh, he was he was in was he in McFly or McBusted
2: or? McBur- he, he was in McFly, but I'm going to refute the accusation that I'm into boy bands. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely
1: <laughs> disgraceful slur. Right. Well, well, knowing now that he is it was in a boy band. Um. I'm going to say now he's definitely going to make it to the quarterfinals. I'd say he feels like a tip for the final to me, Tom Fletcher. Never ever heard of him.
0: <laughs> All right. Robert Webb. Ah, uh, oh, Webby. Oh,
1: uh, Mr yeah. Mitchell. He'll go, he'll go a long way because he's got character and personality and charm. And uh, he's, he's also... People will know who he is. So I think you'll find that he's actually not too bad. He's already appeared. Didn't he appear in... Um, Either celebrity, strictly, or I've seen him do a dance. I've seen him dance before. I think he was in the celebrity he,
0: version of it. Yeah, you're right.
1: I think he was. And I think he was. He did a rather, rather marvellously camp number. Um, he can sort of move. So he's got some moves. I think he'll definitely come unstuck in Rumba Week. That's going to be a tricky one for him. Um, but if he gets Rumba Week early enough, then I, I think we might see him again. I'm, I'm tipping him for at least a quarterfinals.
0: Next one is, um, I thought at first it was an Irish girl, but no, she's uh, of, uh, I'm guessing, uh, West African descent.
1: AJ Odudu. Um, Oh, 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 yeah. Don't think I know AJ very well. Can you give me a bit more background? I don't.
0: I don't know. I think. I think she's uh, present on something or other. Listeners will be screaming at the radio now. But um... she's, yeah,
2: she's done a few presenting geeks. Big Brother's bit on the side. Apparently, the right. oh, she'll be good. British Bake Off, an extra slice, and the voice, would you believe?
1: Ah. Right now, she will be good. If she's a presenter, she'll be good. Um, they 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 go a long way. after the younger presenters. They vocal- I'm not talking about breakfast breakfast TV BBC presenters. They they are usually they've got two left feet. Um, they're hopeless, but yeah, uh, I think I think Big Brother's a bit on the side. I, I'm everyone's getting to the quarterfinal at the moment. This is gonna be a bit tricky. Uh, have we got have we got any have we got any um, elderly men?
0: Well, you just mentioned breakfast TV presenters. Dan Walker is uh, amongst the contestants.
1: Yeah, he'll survive four or five weeks. He'll show a fair bit of dedication, um, but I think he'll probably go out around about the Michael Vaughan slot about week six.
0: Okay, your soap stars, Katie McGlynn, who was in Coronation Street. Um, uh, okay,
1: well, uh, she's, she she'll definitely have been to stage school. Um, she'll have done all of these dances before the age of thirteen. Uh, she will get knocked out in the semi-final, despite being too good, by uh, voters <laughs> who think it's not fair that she's on the programme. Uh, but she, she'll she'll sail through the first part of it, but she'll get she'll get knocked out just when really she should have won it.
0: Well, the other soap star is Nina Wadia, who was in EastEnders uh, for a long time. And if you're old like me, you'll remember her from Mm. Goodness Gracious Me, which was a very funny uh, sketch show in the 90s. Uh, I'm guessing she's kind of like the Bill Bailey uh, contender, maybe?
1: I think that's more Robert Webb, really, is is your Bill Bailey. I I think what will happen with her, she might have a bit of a sherry lungy to start with, but Mm -hmm. I see her fading. Uh, I think she could be out by week four. Then
0: you've got um, oh, so there's some, there's some, a- some proper athleticism here. You've got um, Adam
1: Peaty uh, and ah. Ugo Monier. Okay, <clears throat> tricky one, now because U- Ugo Monier is quite a, he's quite, a, quite a, a thick-set chap. So yeah. the problem he'll have is he'll be keep on, he'll be told by the judges all the time that he keeps sticking his bottom out, <laughs> and uh, he needs to stop scrunching his shoulders. And the thing is, he can't stop scrunching his shoulders because they're made of pure muscle. It's not that they can go down any further. He's he's a powerful yeah. man. And so that's something, and, and actually Petey will struggle a little bit with that as well, because he's slightly, as a swimmer, he's got a very much of a V shape. So Craig Revel Horwood will be talking a lot about his jutting ass, which <laughs> um, it's just a it's just what we do in autumn, isn't it? Let's listen to Craig Revel Horwood complain about people's asses sticking out. Uh I would think that if they get the chance that one of them, because they're they're sportsmen, they tend to pick up stuff. If they can get through the rocky first three or four weeks and the humiliation of being told how bad they are by uncaring judges, one of them could go far. You don't tend to get two sports stars go all the way, but it'll be a choice of one or the other because it's all about constituencies. On balance, I'll probably go with PT. I don't see him getting beyond the quarters.
0: Okay. The last two I'll chuck at you um, are Greg Wise and Tilly Ramsey, daughter of Gordon.
1: Well, now then. Now she's, <laughs> yeah, well, that's, it, again, daughter of a chef. Does mm. she do anything else?
0: I don't know. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> no.
2: There's a fantastic quote that I've got in front of me here on the um, on the Telegraph page about where they're running down each one. They said, always keen to root out nepotism and promote those from underprivileged backgrounds. It's easy to see why Tilly Ramsey's Riches to Riches story
1: would appeal to BBC execs. (laughs) (laughs) Say no more. (laughs) Yes. Well, yes. Yes, now, whether, what she'll probably need is a strong dose of likability factor, which she might have. I don't know her, so there's every chance. So I don't know where to put her. She could be out in week two or three. I mean, I, I, normally the first one to go out is an American because um, people don't take to Americans. I think, This is strictly, we don't, get, get off our land. <laughs> <laughs> this is a, Brit, a British programme for British cells. people. Yeah, <laughs> yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, so if she shows any signs of having a slight American twang, then she'll be out. And Greg Wise is a name I know. Why do I know Greg Wise?
2: I, I don't know. In I've... the Crown. Oh, is oh, he? Oh,
1: from the Crown. And he's
2: married to Emma Thompson. There you go. Oh. That's him. In a nutshell.
1: All oh, right. <laughs> so he won't be young. He won't be young. So um, he'll have to put in quite a lot of hard work not to be. I mean, he could be, he could be a week three or or Maybe a week seven or eight is my guess, not having seen him or knowing really anything about him. But gauging from the fact that he's married to Emma Thompson and presuming that they don't have a 15-year age gap in his favour, I'm probably plumping for not going to go too far.
0: Well, I think um, questions should be answered and questions will be asked from 98 Out why there are no cricketers in it this year, because it's a happy hunting ground for cricketers strictly, isn't it?
2: I think we well, just
1: established been. Them, they've been quite busy
2: enough this year. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: yes, it, it, it's it's true, but but what have we had? We've had Swanee, Bornee, Golf, Ramps. Um, I was hoping we were going to see a bit of Ishiguro, but uh, obviously oh, yeah. with with the Ashes coming up, that was highly unlikely because she'll be. Surely this is why Australia. Ben
2: Stokes hasn't played any cricket? He's been gearing <laughs> himself up for strictly.
1: Hey, do you know? I, I'm He's amazed. Going to I be surprised about last that. minute why had that not occurred to me until now it's obvious it's isn't make, it? <laughs> it is actually it is a, it's yeah well that's it on that on that bombshell you genuinely you might have broken one of the most important pieces of news and i think one of the the other problem for cricketers actually at the moment is uh, on a non-serious note but just a factual one there aren't that many famous ex-cricketers because we've gone through this period where yeah. they were off the box from 2005 to 2020 so recognition of them is not so great. I mean, if you think Sue Redfern, the famous woman umpire, has been seen ubiquitously on free-to-air television this year because the BBC has shown a lot of women's cricket and she's been umpiring a lot of it. Alistair Cook, I think, had never been on free-to-air television in an illustrious 13-year test career or 12-year test career. So um, you've got to go back quite a bit. It would have to be the likes of sort of Freddie Flintoff, really. And I think he's probably got too much <laughs> on his plate, you know. hes I mean, he's on every bloody programme. I'm half expecting know. to <laughs> see him speaking the news at one. <laughs> to be quite the thing. So um, I think we might have to wait a little bit for the for a few more cricketers to come through. Um, but I'm fully expecting Chris Wokes to win it in about four years' time. That's my big tip for those of you who want to go out there, put a bet on... on Chris Wokes to win strictly at some point. It's a bit like how people used to put a bet on their kids to play for England, you know what I mean?
0: Well, well on that bombshell, I think we'll wind it up. (laughs) But uh, yes, Chris Wokes, get your money on now and have a little each way on Ben Stokes along the way as well. Uh, Dan, been an absolute (laughs) pleasure to catch up, as always, looking very well. And um, uh, so when can we hear you next on the radio then, Dan?
1: Well, uh, I'll be doing the last two matches of the England Women's International Summer, which are on the 23rd and 26th of September, their first one-day international uh, begins. Today, at the time of recording, uh, and it has just begun, and there's three more before I come uh, riding into town, in Derby and in uh, Canterbury for the last game of the season. And then uh, there'll be odds and sods, there'll be bits of IPL, and of course the World T20, that's the thing, I mean... the English cricket season ending it's a very different feel isn't it from when again I keep harking back to where we were younger but yeah. the NatWest Trophy Final would end wouldn't it early September and you'd think oh there's no cricket until whenever the tour starts but actually it's a kind of merry-go-round it's not, not great for the fans because obviously they don't get to go and watch cricket for a while but um, we're quite privileged well very privileged position we get to get to go to the Oval and um, and do off-tube commentary uh, in a box, that gets colder and colder as the winter proceeds. In, in the, at the beginning of this year, I did a game in uh, Sri Lanka against England when Root was scoring all those runs and the snow was falling and the windows were open because of COVID. And I'd have to start by saying, you know, welcome to a gloriously hot day in Gaul. <laughs> 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 and toughers would walk in covered in snow. <laughs> <laughs> With four, or five layers of clothing on, looking perishing at four o'clock in the morning. So uh, we have we have those delights to look forward to. Um, but you know, we'll get through it, and hopefully, hopefully, this time next year, we probably said that this time last year, didn't we? But hopefully, this time next year, we'll be able to put at least COVID restrictions aside and sort of have a little bit more certainty and rhythm back in our lives. Because I think that's the thing. Obviously, there's the tragedy of the illness for people, which can't can't be. Um, over overstated, but for those people who have been fortunate enough to avoid the ravages of the disease itself, it's been the continued uncertainty about what's happening in their lives. And sport is as afflicted with that as any other areas of life. So we're all in it together. We've all just got to plough on, and one day we'll get to, we'll get a bit more rhythm back. <laughs> I've, I've just
0: got I've just got Boris Johnson on the phone, just asking if you would like to be a speechwriter for him. Uh,
1: uh, well uh, some, somebody needs to don't they <laughs> I'm not sure I could ever quite come up with some of his of his most fantastic lines um, he did a great one on uh, on leveling up which was filled with some of the most extraordinary bits of faux latin and then the the wi- the of eternal justice but uh, <laughs> Well, I know both you and I have got O-Level
0: Latin. I think you've got a bit further with your classics. But, uh, yeah, we can spot that in a mile off. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. But let's hope for a brighter future. And let us I'll tell you what, let's learn from the past. Let's try and look to a future which learns from the past, which all, you know,
1: there you go. Wouldn't that be lovely? Wouldn't that be lovely? Rather than repeating the mistakes of of the present.
0: Let's get back to teams no, coming a- over and touring for three months or four months, and gaps between tests, Sundays off, playing the counties along the way. Oh I'm yeah, a-
1: going to going to Arundel at the start of the season. Oh. having a bit of time to enjoy the sights of York and Norwich and, and Liverpool oh. in between time. You know, when, when all the Aussie cricketers used to go off and check out the Cavern club or whatever it is and um, <laughs> you know, make a big deal out of it that would be it's not going to happen but, <laughs> no, <laughs> but it would,
0: no, it those would days lovely. those days are gone Desmond Haynes jumping over the advertising hoarding uh, to ask me and my school chums uh, what was in our sandwich box and when I said I've got a strawberry jam sandwich he took the lot and gave half of them to Gordon Greenwich as they stood in the slips waiting for the ball <laughs> to be changed <laughs> I
1: never knew that. It was a sandwich thief. Yes. Was it, was, it, was it not enough that they were destroying England 5-0 without the fact they were taking the spectators' food from their very bellies?
0: It was a very bemused Graham Gooch stood in the middle just trying to wonder what was going on. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> oh, dear. Right, I'll, I will wrap it up on that, on that bombshell. More bombshells, More bomb- honestly. Incredible. We need tin hats for this interview. <laughs> well all the best for the season all the best for zero ducks given and uh, we shall put the link across the bottom of the screen so people can buy tickets at uh, www.somewhere.com and um, <laughs>
1: <laughs> thank you
0: and we'll catch up really soon
1: thank you moot it's been a delight seeing you and uh, paul again <laughs> and all the very best keep keep up the good work and uh, hopefully Hopefully, we could catch up in the close season and have a little natter in a pub oh, somewhere.
0: Splendid, splendid.